Hey everyone, this is Sam, co-host of Pod on Yulunes, along with my good buddy Justin. For this episode, Justin and I were joined by our recurring contributor and noted Timbers fan, Nate. Many of you, of course, will know Nate from his leadership within the Citizen Supporters Group for Minneapolis City SC. And Nate was actually able to pull a few strings, and he invited his buddy Cameron from Seattle to join the pod as well to really give a good Pacific Northwest take on the MLS Cup playoffs we have coming up. Besides being involved with various radio and podcasting projects, Cameron from Seattle, he's actually the president of the Gorilla FC supporters group for the Seattle Sounders, so it was a treat being able to have him on. I highly encourage you to check out part one of episode 34. In that part one, we discussed everything from the adversity around the Western Conference during COVID to the MLS scheduling of round one during the playoffs at a time when all the international players are still quarantining after their recent call-ups. We even offer our predictions for the MLS Cup playoffs. But you are listening to part two of episode 34, and this is a fun, this is a fun episode we have for you. In part two, we interview Cameron all about Gorilla FC and his, just his experience with the Sounders, and then we dive into the European-based U.S. men's national team lineup. Anyway, guys, without further ado, thank you for listening, but let's get on with the episode. Pot on you, loons. Well, hey, man. Nate has talked quite a bit about what it's like to be with the Portland Timbers, what it's like to be on the leadership of the citizens in Minneapolis. Really interested, Cameron, to hear what you have to say about Gorilla FC, if you, if you don't mind me asking you a few questions. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. And, you know, Nate, if you have connections you want to make to Portland, jump in. Justin, if, if you have connections you want to make to Minnesota United, jump in. Speaking for Justin and I, we're not very involved with Minnesota United supporters culture. We're not in a supporters group. Uh, we follow them on Twitter, but that's about as far as it goes. Excited to drink with Nate and the citizens, though, at a Minneapolis City game whenever we can. Heck yeah. But let's just start off, Cameron. So... How did you get into Seattle Sounders? Uh, what drew you into Gorilla FC? Well, I mean, when the Sounders launched as an MLS team, I, um, much like Nate, I was on the waiting list right away to be a season ticket holder. And Nate had to move back to Portland, thankfully for him. And I will say that I, we did go to USL games. Uh, I think it was a, a, actually a US Open Cup game between Seattle and Portland. And I was like, these Timbers Armies guys seem pretty cool. Hopefully no one in Seattle hears this because I'll probably be kicked out of the city for that. You know, I grew up in Seattle as a Tacoma Stars fan, which was the uh, indoor soccer MISL team because there was no Sounders at the time. And then when I was in high school, we had the the like USISL A-League Sounders and stuff like that. So I used to go to some of the matches and I was always a big soccer fan during the 94 World Cup. I was at Fat Camp in San Diego and uh, I would sneak off from whatever activity was to watch all of the World Cup games on TV. And so I've been a huge soccer fan for as long as I can remember. So I was so excited when we got a, a team, but I didn't get involved with supporter culture right away. You know, I kind of felt it out and, you know, my personality is kind of, I mean, I think sports wise, especially when I was younger, I, I get more riled up about stuff, but I'm a lot more laid back now. You know, I, I think there's four sounder supporter groups and they do different things. Um, you know, ECS, Emerald City supporters are the ones that are the in-stadium giant display types people's. North End Faithful uh, just sit on the north side and they don't do too much. East Side supporters live east of Seattle across the water. And Grill FC was really about community. 
And so after the second season of the Sounders, so the first season was 2009. So in 2011, I joined Grill FC. Um, I had a friend, Sam Chesno, who was involved, who was uh, friends with Kevin Zelko, the founder. And so I really uh, started just hanging out. I didn't uh, in the second season. I didn't. I wasn't a member. And then um, I, the, it just felt right. It felt right that you know ECS does an amazing job in the stadium doing everything they do. But we were all about we. I say I wasn't. It wasn't we yet. I was on the outside looking in. But I became we real fast about building community. And it wasn't just building soccer community. It was about doing good outside of the soccer world. So there's been tons of different things. In uh, 2010, there was Columbia for the Columbia floods. They did raise money for Mercy Corps for 100 for Haiti, which is uh, which is interesting because I'm somehow unrelated to Grill FC. I'm now the president of the board of that nonprofit, but it's because I became friends with the executive director through different channels, which is actually, that's Greg, my uh, co-host on the podcast. But um, build, uh, we've done stuff for uh, first place schools, Seattle Education Access, uh, Special Olympics Washington, Big Brothers Big Sisters. We always take part in when it happens, raise the red card to racism. Uh, and our big project, which is obviously on hold this year because of COVID, was we've been building tiny houses for the homeless. So um, we've did, I think we've done three houses so far, and we have a huge fund now since we haven't done anything. We have a, a beer with Ruben's Brewery here in Seattle that is the Gorilla FC beer. It's called Gorilla Juice, and 10% of the proceeds from that go to our tiny home fund. And so uh, that's a project that we'll have, uh, well, it'll really be about bandwidth on how much we can build moving forward. But it's going to be a sustainable fund moving forward because of how much money we've been able to raise from the generosity of Ruben. So there, it's all about community and it's all about raising money for charity. And that really uh, just, that was up my alley. And so I, I loved it. I got involved, immediately was accepted. And they just, you know, they'd ask, hey, what are your ideas? And it was, it didn't matter if you were a leader or not, they listened. And then I actually was going to start a subgroup. That was, and I did start a subgroup called Rain City Pariah, which was about uh, the same idea, but doing arts-related funding for arts programs. And then pretty quickly, though, I just got folded into leadership, and that disappeared. And I just ended up being involved at a higher level, and you know, was vice president last year. Now, and I've been I've been doing the Twitter and stuff. We took over the Twitter, changed the tone from the original one, and. Rather than being negative, we became more positive. Like, yeah, we love our guys, support all this stuff, and got thousands of more Twitter followers and kind of um, just really focus on that. This year, we did a really cool thing with the Sounders where we made these um, masks that say equity on them that have the Sounders logo and the Grill FC logo. And all of the money went to the Rave Foundation's COVID Relief Fund. Rave Foundation is the Sounders charity arm. And uh, it was about giving um, like internet. Uh, food, school supplies, stuff like that, clothing to kids in uh, low-income areas, particularly in communities of color. So, you know, that's what we're about. Uh, we we have we sit in 120 right next to ECS. We have our giant Gorilla FC banner. But uh, it's as much as we love being there for each other during the games. It's all about what happens outside the games. That's funny because that sounded like a big pitch. Like, hey, look how awesome we are, and that's not something I really do. Usually, it's like just come hang out, and let's do it. So, sorry if that sounded super corporate, but we're just kind of like hang out and have fun and let's make the world a better place. It's it's all good. I had I had heard of Gorilla FC before. I I knew that it was a supporters group for Seattle. I knew that it was one of the more memorable ones across the league, across the MLS. And you know, that brings me to a question that I've had for many years that no one has ever answered. 
what does Gorilla FC mean? Like, wh- what what's with the name? I can tell you the answer for that. So when it was founded, it was founded by a group of activists. And um, it was originally a, like, club soccer club in local rec leagues. And it was Gorilla, like the G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. Okay. Gorilla FC, that was their soccer club. But they were also Sounders fans doing stuff at the USL level a little bit. But when the MLS came, they decided they wanted to form an organization that could support the community around soccer and use soccer to build community. You know, I don't think the war imagery really would work out with a, uh, at least they felt at the time with an MLS club and at that level. So they changed it to gorilla, like the animal. And uh, that's kind of been the, the way it's been since. I mean, early on and, and still at times, we, I think we, we busted them out for the MLS cup, but uh, we have a gorilla named Sib who is our mascot and he's got, you know, he used to be at all the games, getting someone to want to go inside a hot suit for uh, however many 20 home matches a year can be rough though. And uh, originally we also had a banana that he used to run around the stadium and chase, but uh, we don't anymore. So, you know, times have changed, I think as the MLS has gotten bigger and and arguably better, but uh, that's where it originally came from is a group of activists who really wanted to make the world a better place. I think, you know, we've moved away from the political messaging overall. I mean, I think it's still there a little bit with some of the stuff that happened last year uh, with our friends in Timbers Army, where we were dealing with the league and the Iron Front stuff. Um, and we all had to go down to Vegas and talk to league. Um, we don't really need to go into all that if you want to, unless you want to. Nate but, already did. Okay. You know, we were super involved with that conversation. And, and with, with them and ISC and everyone, and, and I was down there in Vegas meeting with the league. But, you know, as a whole, I think we're just about trying to make our community better. And so it's pivoted a little bit from that, that inherently or specifically political messaging when that first started in 2009, 2010, to a little more, I don't know if the right world is, word is um, just a wider, broader audience, broader appeal. Uh, but I mean... We also still have the Iron Front logo on all our gear. So depends on who you are. Now, I know. So we're recording this pretty much right after the decision day games have concluded. And we waited a few minutes because you were wrapping up a virtual watch party over Zoom. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about how has Gorilla FC stayed, you know, just connected during COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been really hard. Um, I'm sure a lot of supporter groups and just just fans of the teams in general are feeling that, especially since since I'm president and I'm immunocompromised, I can't go out and work with other volunteers either. And so it, it goes from being a very volunteer-run effort to a lot of more top-heavy effort. So from just the standpoint of getting everything done, uh, it's hard. It's also hard to get membership when you are not uh, in the stadium, talking to people every game, and you're used to them coming to your table and stuff like that. I think we uh, originally it was separate between us and the Alliance Council, which um, is that fan government, um, which I'm also the president of. But we were hosting separate Zoom rooms for the Sounders matches during the MLS is back tournament, and now it's a co-hosted room. Uh, but since I'm both orgs or I run both orgs, I'm at it no matter what. Really, it's been connecting through those Zoom rooms. Um, and it's, those aren't just Gorilla FC members. There's anyone's welcome. And I think that's really about what Gorilla FC is. You can, anyone can come to an event. We don't have members only events, really. But 
I think that's been one of the main ways we've been able to stay together as a community is early on, it was Twitter and tweet live tweeting matches and stuff like that. But being able to see people's faces and, and also we were on the broadcast a bunch until San Jose uh, gave up seven goals to us. We scored seven on them and they complained to the league that because they have to use the home broadcast, they kept having to see us cheer every time. So I was on TV seven different times cheering in the face of San Jose fans. So they whined and got the league to change it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it was great. And so, and today was just another example of that. We had, uh, you know, we're not as big as a regular group that we have, but we had, you know, 20 people in there that were just together enjoying the game and, and able to spend time together at a time when a lot of us can't spend time with other people. Even Justin and I, right? Like Justin and I and uh, James, our, our friend abroad, we have this group chat that we use while we're watching games together. And Justin more or less is a psychic, right? Because he tells us what's going to happen about two minutes before I actually know what's going to happen because his TV is quicker than mine. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you guys have that issue? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it was different when we were on the on the big, like we both were on the broadcast. And when whenever the Sounders would score goals, they would show us in this on the big screen so that the players could see us cheering for them. So when that was going on, we had someone in the stadium who would signal us when a goal happened and we'd all have to cheer because the because the live is obviously <laughs> slightly ahead of what you're going to see on TV anyways. And so we had one person in the stadium that was the designated, we just scored everybody cheer person. But it is, you know, it, you're watching different ways because we're on local TV or like even I'm watching it on Xfinity, but I'm watching it through an app on this TV down here because I don't have cable down here. It's only upstairs which uh, I only got cable to watch sports because I'm stuck at home. <laughs> I didn't have it for years. But, uh, and then also the Sounders had a deal uh, this year that they launched right after the, the COVID is back tournament, as I called it earlier, after the MLS is back tournament, where uh, if you are in Washington state, anywhere in the state of Washington, and you have Amazon Prime, you can watch the game on Amazon Prime if it's a local broadcast. And so there's people watching on Prime on their computer, there's people watching on Prime on TV. They're walking on apps on their TVs. They're watching on... I mean, if you're watching on ESPN+, Plus, if you're on your Xbox versus on the TV app, it's going to be at different times. So that's an issue. So we find out who's first. And if they cheer, we know a goal goes in or if they're really bummed. So you kind of don't get that live reaction, but we just make an effort to find out who that person is who's first. And then we follow them closely. Yeah, awesome. awesome. I Justin and I haven't really coordinated it. I've I've talked about like being... Like Justin, just whenever you're excited about something, wait 60 seconds and then text it out. And uh, but right, you can do that because we're on screen, we're on camera seeing each other. You'll see the person cheer. And today, you know, the person who was first was like, I tried really hard not to cheer, but I got so excited. (laughs) So, how about this just before we close off this interview? What are your interactions like with other MLS supporters groups? I, I know you've talked a little bit about your relationship with the Timbers Army uh, as far as the Iron Front goes. Nate talked about that a couple of times in the previous episodes he's been on. But how does Guerrilla FC interact with other MLS supporters groups? Have you guys had any interaction with the Wonderwall here in Minnesota? What's it like? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, we generally have a pretty good relationship with most of the supporter groups around the league. I mean, maybe it's because of what we're focused on is different. You know, we frequently, especially in years past, obviously not this year, if there's a team visiting Seattle, we might spend time before the game with those supporters 
So unless, you know, Timbers Army and, and Seattle fans are not going to hang out on the day. Of, I mean, most of the time, unless we're fighting the good fight, we're not going to be hanging out together. Uh, Southsiders or any of the Vancouver players, or any of the Vancouver supporter groups, not hanging out with them. And, you know, there's a few other San Jose wouldn't hang out with us, but that's a different issue. But yeah, we, we constantly have road teams that will come to our partner bar before the game and hang out and spend some time with them, whether they're from, you know, the Red Bulls or, uh, and even, uh, you know, we've had people from want to just check out the experience in the MLS. So, you know, Atlanta had people going around to all of the teams to see what the experience was like before they came into the league. So we've had people from Atlanta, Silverbacks, I think is their group. And so we, we're happy to share a beer with anyone come to the pub beforehand and hang out and we don't need to be friends during the game, but before or after we'll have fun with you. And I will say that as much as there's a rivalry between the, the Timbers and, and the, the Sounders, I mean, everyone in Portland, you know, especially Nate's friends who I got to spend a lot of time with and met through him knew I was a Sounders fan and, and they welcomed me into their homes and, and didn't beat me up. And so we, I still have a real, and I've sat in the Timbers army for us national team matches. So I have a lot of respect for what they do. So we may not be friends all the time, but uh, I think we still respect each other at least. Right. This is in England, right? <laughs> That's more or less been my experience with uh, traveling fans and MLS stadiums is in England, right? You have just regiments of uh, security guards separating the crowd and, here, you can intermix and things like that. Even, even Seattle and Portland, right? Like, no one's getting stabbed, right? I, and, you know, England isn't as bad as it used to be. I mean, I highly recommend Among the Thugs by Bill Buford, which is one of the most fascinating books ever, which looks at soccer hooliganism in the 80s under um, teams in the, I guess, pre before the Premier League. but And uh, the English national team is an amazing book. But... Um, you know, like when I lived in Paris for six months back in 2000 and went to a lot of PSG matches and there was a lot of security. But when I went to the Chelsea match, they didn't even search me like you couldn't bring in anything to the PSG match. And I actually there was times I went to a PSG Bayern Munich match where I ended up somehow after the match shoved in with the German fans and they wouldn't let us go. And we had to get on the train and go to the middle of the city with all the the Munich fans, despite the fact that we were, were just a couple of Americans hanging out like, we just wanted to watch the game. Uh, or the, the PSG lit the stands on fire one time. I had times where you got shoved walking down the stairs and your feet didn't touch the ground until you were on the bottom level because it was just crushes of people. So when I went to the Chelsea match, uh, and maybe that's because, you know, Chelsea's, uh, this is before they were really a Richie Rich club, I guess, because it was 2000. And mind you, Chelsea's my club. I've been a fan of them since 1995. But it wasn't like that. They didn't search us. You actually got to sit in your assigned seat as opposed to any other game I went to in Europe where you just kind of sat near your seat. So I don't think it's as bad, but you're right. Except for there was that Red Bulls, New York City FC flare up where they got at each other in the subway at some point. We don't have, uh, and I think there was a Portland, uh, didn't San Jose do some shady stuff to you guys? Yeah. I mean, San Jose fans are notorious for shenanigans and there are a bunch of people that were messing up cars in rush hour traffic in downtown Portland before a match and they got a tra uh, travel ban for that they caught the people that did it and they ended up with a travel ban but I mean I've heard of like scarves getting snatched so I always you know tie my scarf when I'm in Seattle or walking around but 
every time I've been in Portland for a Portland Seattle match, take Cameron's there. I've got a couple other, you know, a couple other people that come down. There's no problem to go. Yeah. Hug in the, in the before times, get a hug in and say hello. The before times. Oh, those were good times. <laughs> they were. Yeah. I always tell people you, sporting events in the Midwest, we have rivalries. You will get heckled, but again, no one's getting stabbed. I, I think I've been to so many Packer Vikings games, Brewer Cubs games, things like that. I think I've seen one fight and it, it wasn't even a fight. It was a really drunk guy wanting to fight and the police just arrested him. <laughs> See, to us, that just seems Canadian. <laughs> I mean, and that's so, pretty much so what polite we are. And nice. Yeah, that, that's pretty much we, what we are, right? I mean, we're yeah, we're basically Canada, right? Canada light. I mean, we <laughs> have we have morons and idiots all the time on both sides. I'm sure between Portland and Seattle. I mean, I've dealt with super, super drunk, annoying Vancouver fans before, but also I've had amazing experiences where I had to just randomly sit somewhere in the stadium, and the worst thing they did to me was chant, "We have healthcare." At me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, I mean, which actually maybe hurts more than anything else they could have said, but <laughs> uh, yeah, so. I think there's a level of respect between supporter groups because they know soccer's the underdog in our country. This isn't the NFL, right? And if you want the league to continue to be organic and grow in a way that benefits supporter culture, that's you just can't have those big fights and hooliganism that way. Well, and not necessarily involving Vancouver, but that leads us to a nice little segue where we have our U.S. men's national team the team that unites us all together. They have a couple of friendlies coming up with a mostly Europe-based squad. And, you know, I don't necessarily think we need to list off every single name for the listeners. They can easily look that up themselves. But I, I know Nate is a big U.S. men's national team fan. I know Justin, who has a new name on our on our video chat, I'm just seeing. Uh, <laughs> I, I I know that Justin he really been got there all night, Sam. Oh, it has. Okay, never mind. <laughs> You're not like on SNL where he changes his name to Turd Ferguson, which I know is your Twitter handle, right? Oh man, R.I.P. Right there, Sam. R.I.P. Yeah, to two of them, right? To both uh, to both Sean Connery and Alex Trebek. Right. Not yeah. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds is with us, I believe. So, no, right? he he died a couple of years ago. Did he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Shoot. Yeah. Sorry, RIP Burt Reynolds. RIP Celebrity Jeopardy in Heaven, right? Is that going to be next weekend on SNL? Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. But too soon. Yeah. Too Al- soon. I think Alex Trebek was today, uh, Sunday, as we're recording. And Sean Connery was earlier this week. And it was a busy week in, in news. And I mean, he's a legend, right? Not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> RIP. Um, we have our U.S. men's national team. Really, for the first time, they have an almost entirely European-based lineup because they don't want to take players out of the MLS during playoffs right now, which I appreciate. So, guys, what do you want to see out of this team as far as the near future goes? What are you thinking for 2022? And then what about 2026? Because as, as far as I'm concerned, 2026 is when I'm getting excited. Um, I think 2022 could be fun, but I, I'm looking forward to 2026. How about you guys? You know, I think that, you know, first off, my excitement for them fielding a full team of uh, European-based players 
provides interesting opportunities for guys in Europe to showcase themselves. Um, you know, I kind of looked at the roster and highlighted three guys. I'm really excited about seeing Chris Richards, center back at Munich. Um, you know, he's he's gotten some minutes with their first team this year, and I think is like a teenager or 20 at the most. You know, Tyler Adams, who's at Leipzig, and then Gio Reyna, so a little German trio there. But, you know, those are the three guys that I think I'm most excited to see play. And I do really hope that, you know, some of the some of the new faces there uh, will get some minutes and get some opportunity that, you know, some of the, the Pulisic and the stalwarts um, don't necessarily need to hog the minutes. So, you know, seeing, seeing the contributions, and I, I just think that, you know, looking at that roster, that could easily be the core of our team for the next six years. The fact that we've got guys that are playing at Barcelona and Bayern and the biggest clubs in Europe, the biggest clubs in the world, is just super exciting. So I'm curious to see what they do. Yeah. So Nate, I also don't want Pulisic to play a lot of minutes because it seems like as Cameron, we haven't discussed this yet. I am also a big Chelsea fan. And it seems like whenever Chelsea has players that go on international duty, they always get hurt. And Christian Pulisic has been struggling on and off with his hamstring for pretty much since he arrived at Chelsea last season. And I wouldn't mind if he didn't play at all. You know, because he's he's played like two games for Chelsea this year. So if Greg Berhalter could just he's there, right? He he's there. He can smile on the sidelines, look good on TV, and if that was that, I'd be pretty happy. I just think back to that uh, Chelsea players in 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 international games that when Dan Petrescu scored for Romania against England and was basically ran out of Chelsea when he was so good. I'm always worried about when the players are on international duty, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I would echo a lot of what Nate said. I I am uh, maybe outside of Pulisic as well. I am less excited about some of the younger or or giving people a chance and more excited about seeing more from the likes of uh, Tim Weah or Weston McKinney. And most importantly, I'm glad that Bradley isn't on there, and I don't know why he's still on the team. His dad must have some real dirt on the U.S. Soccer Federation for them to keep calling him up with how horrible he is. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. So, and again, this is I'm still learning. Serginio, he could have played for Netherlands, and he chose us. Like, he's never lived in the United States. He has a parent that's from here. Like, did we know what what was behind his decision? It's a, you know a quicker path, but I feel like he probably would have eventually made the club for Netherlands, right? I mean, I think that's the hard part is when you're making that decision. If he if he were to go with Netherlands, the amount of players he would have to outperform to be able to actually make the team is so much higher. I mean, even a player like Steve Zakawani, who who played for the Sounders and of course broke his leg. Uh, never was the same after that, and then did play for Portland as well because he was close friends with Caleb Porter. He was born in the Congo and lived his entire life in the in in England, pretty much from I think seven on. He could have played for either of those teams. He did play a non FIFA sanctioned match for Congo, but when he got injured, he was actually in the process of thinking about becoming a U.S. player because he had a path to actually playing on the left mid for the U.S. if he were American citizen. So. You know, I think it's exactly that. It's that there is a faster path to showcasing yourself on an international level with the U.S. team because we just don't have the depth of some of those teams in, across the world. 
That makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I think you see that with decisions that have been made in the past, trying to get dual nationals to come play and Julian Green being a prime example, Venture Alvarado being another one where, you know, they might, they might get time for their other country, but they might not. And so by committing, they, by committing early, then they, they can make that happen. And, and we see this, the opposite of it too. You had, oh, uh, De Rossi from that went and played for Italy. You know, uh, now, the, now playing for Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Not then, well, uh, but he's, yeah. he's playing for them. Who was the, then there was the defender who, who plays in Europe, who's really, really, really good, who lived in the United States and wanted to play for the U.S. And they wouldn't even give him a tryout. He was living in Florida and they just wouldn't listen to him. And now he's like a star defender in the world. I'm blanking on his name right now. But so there is some major. Fa- I, th- I think part of it is the failure of the U.S. soccer system to develop young talent and keep them playing soccer. The, the, the bar to entry for people to be good at soccer in the United States is so high because it costs so much to be on those select teams that, it, you know, to produce a player like Jordan Morris in the United States cost so much more money for his family that they had to, you know, his dad's a doctor, he's a doctor for the Sounders. In fact, they have to, you have to be wealthy to be able to afford your kid to play. Uh, and otherwise you're not going to be able to continue and become a star. And so there's probably a ton of high level, almost messy like players that we've just never seen play that sport that went on to play basketball or football, American football or something else, just because we don't have the system in place to do it here. Messy players that went on to play basketball. <laughs> I mean, maybe point guard. Nate Robinson was like five nine. Man, you could make it. Like, yeah, right. and he was a he was a cornerback for UW football too. Nice. Well, hey guys, this has been a nice episode. We're we're gonna close off now. Justin, James, and I will be back next week, Monday night, recording a playoff preview where we will kind of review the end of the Minnesota United regular season, and we will provide a preview of Minnesota United as they are hosting Colorado Rapids in the first round of the MLS playoffs. The COVID is back tournament, right? <laughs> Make sure follow Nate and the citizens on Twitter. If, you, if you're looking for that, Nate, you got a Twitter handle or anything you want to shout out? Uh, MPLS citizens. M- MPLS citizens. Yeah, I, I definitely follow them. Watching soccer and tailgating that those are my things, right? Cameron and Gorilla FC, you, you have anything you want to shout out as far as Twitter handles or anything? You, yeah, sure. you did that a little bit earlier, but yeah, you can get at Gorilla FC is is the Gorilla FC one. And uh, my personal one is at legal minded punk, all one word, with the caveat that because it is my personal Twitter, I talk a lot about politics and stuff like that. So if that's not your thing, uh, maybe stick with Gorilla FC. But if it is, check it out. Yeah, Cameron's a big Trump guy, you know, so just be careful. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Love him. <laughs> and and you can follow us at Podloons. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're working on the Instagram, guys. We're working on it. But anyway, upcoming games we have Thursday, November 12th, U.S. Men's National Team versus Wales. That is going to actually take place at, at Swansea Stadium. So that's pretty cool. Monday, November 16th, U.S. Men's National Team versus Panama. That'll take place in Austria. And then Minnesota United will be back. Playoffs round one against Colorado Rapids sometime between Friday the 20th and Tuesday the 24th. 
might be on Friday, it could be on Saturday, Sunday, or maybe Tuesday. We don't know yet. Um, and that is as of 9.47 p.m. on Sunday night. We do not know when the game will be. You might know by the time you listen to this episode. But guys, in, until next time, Justin and I always sign off with a pot on you loons. Cameron and Nate, I really don't care what you sign off with, but pot on you loons. Pot on you loons. Pot on you loons. <laughs> you both said it. Wow. Thanks, guys. Aw. Third time's a try. Oh, that, was, that was real nice. Nate's never said it before. <laughs>